Did you know that for some countries, that when we talk about the word democracy, it's not just about the voting rights. It's not just about the legalization of the gay marriages. To some extent, that women today, for in some countries, are not actually able to enjoy the word democracy or able to live under this democratic system. For example, in the country of Afghanistan. For so long that we know this country is well known for this whole internal, or what we called domestic chaos. However, as soon as the U.S. put the troops out of this country under the ruling of Taliban, guess, guess what? Women today face much greater pressure, or should we call it this economic and social chaos today. How come the mainstream media never talk about this? As again, as profound as it is, democracy should be preserved and well protected around the world. But somehow, for women of, in Afghanistan are being overlooked one after another. Well, that's why in this episode, we need to talk about the country of Afghanistan. And what about this democracy or the democratic concept for women today? Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's my great honor to invite our distinguished guest, which is Zara Nader. Again, if you're familiar with Zara, Zara is Afghan-Canadian journalist and editor-in-chief of Zun Times, a media that covers human rights violation in Afghanistan with a focus on women, the LGBTQI community, and environmental issues. She started her career in 2011 in Kabul, writing and editing for Afghan local media outlets. In 2016, she joined the New York Times Bureau in Kabul, becoming the first Afghan woman journalist to work with a mainstream English language media since 2001. Zara, and welcome to The Missing Piece. Thank you, Will. I really, really appreciate uh, this opportunity to be here to talk to you and to you, to your audience. Uh, it is just an honor for me. Thank you, Zara. The pleasure is all mine. Again, you know, as we mentioned in the intro, we're in the, in, in the year of 2023, and people are still enjoying using the word democracy. And again, when we talk about democracy, as we mentioned before, it's not just about the voting rights. It's not just about legalization of certain uh, rights. However, today in Afghanistan, and again, before talking to you, I was able to research and find out one of the unique articles that you wrote, which entitled, We Have to Fight Back, Afghan Women Are Losing Their Hard-Won Rights to Work Under the Taliban. Now, Zara, help us to understand as soon as the U.S. troops got pulled out and Taliban took over the country, why was it so difficult for women today not only to find work, but also even to protect themselves? Can you help us to understand how critical and how harsh the conditions are today? Thank you so much, Will. Um, if I may, I would always love to add a little bit of history because... Um, we tend to look at events, incidents, as it happens, as like we think that this has been always like this. Mm. I want to take us a little bit back, like how we started. Mm. Um, as a woman, I, I grew up the first time Taliban were around. I was, uh, my family was forced to leave Afghanistan. Mm. Uh, they found, uh, they went to Iran, where I was denied the right to education. That was the first time I heard about the Taliban and I got to know who they are and what they do. 
Um, and then my entire life that I feel um, I started my real life from then was when I went back to Afghanistan mm. after the Taliban collapse. I went to school, I get an education, even though the area that I grew up was very poor. Um, I studied under uh, I studied in a school that didn't have a classroom. I studied under a tent that was donated by UNICEF mm. and uh, it's very difficulty, but the um, rights to education was there for me and I was able to get an education, which helped me to get where I am right now today as a journalist able to, to, to tell the stories. But how did we get here is, is a very good question. Like why suddenly overnight all the rights, political, social, economic, cultural rights of Afghan women was stripped from them mm. the moment that the Taliban took over the country. I think it's it's very, very difficult question. First of all, is that we as the people of Afghanistan have little uh, power to make decision about our future. Mm. What really happened is even in 2021, um, the invasion of Afghanistan started with 9-11. Uh, and uh, that was the decision of other countries that they wanted to invade Afghanistan mm. and frame their own interest into narrative of women's rights, freedom, liberation of women mm. is much easier to get public support uh, rather than you just say, like, we're gonna going to invade this country. We're going to go and, you know, like bombard um, civilians because they did 9-11, right? It's always easier to say, Oh, look at that place. Oh, women are so much oppressed as, as a powerful countries, as a country that promote democracy and liberty. They have, we have a responsibility to save them, to mm. help them. And that was the narrative. If it was the main, if it wasn't the main narrative, it was a bigger one, the one that really, really mobilized public support mm. for invasion of Afghanistan. And when the, this all countries came to Afghanistan. What really happened? Did they women be liberated mm. as they were framing that we are saving and liberating Afghan women? That didn't happen. Why did it didn't happen? Because our demands, our need was not at the center of this uh, project, was not at the center of the invasion. It was the other countries' interest, what they wanted to do with Afghanistan, how they wanted to frame it, how they wanted to uh, make Afghanistan into a country that is no longer, uh, you know, a, a terrorist hub. So how they go do about it was actually very, very interesting because they didn't done anything. Uh, you would would really say like, oh, you know, this area, like I know they they helped open the school, as I earlier mm -hmm. mentioned, that I went to that school and I get education. But my point is that this decision, uh, you know, like women's rights in Afghanistan were seen as a project. Mm. Like, okay, like how should we deal with this? How should go, we go about um, liberating Afghan women? Oh, maybe we, we need one uh, project in for education. We need this project for women empowerment. We need this. So it start with the point of other people who some of whom might never had the chance to actually visit Afghanistan to have conversation with real people living there. Mm. They were the one making decision of what project is needed for this woman to liberate them. Not those women's interests, not those what those women wanted. Were not were little or too rarely, uh, you know, part of the discussion, what you want mm. for us to bring to you. And as a woman, as a woman journalist, uh, I worked in Afghanistan and I 
am still engaged and I'm working right now as a chief of Zan Times. And I somehow now used to see this, that our need, what we think is important, is rarely shaping anything mm -hmm. because we are not the one with the power. The one with power are the countries that makes negotiation with the Taliban, that meet with the Taliban and um, and their narrative is that, oh, we are trying to support women's rights in Afghanistan. We are trying to ask the Taliban to reverse some of these laws. Mm. But how do they go about doing it? Is it still not so much? They are not in contact. Uh, they are not in conversation with the people of Afghanistan, with the women of Afghanistan. They are mostly in contact with the people who were part of the disaster that happened. You know, like they, you, they are listening to the people who were part of this problem. Also, who were Afghans, but didn't really take part on uh, to, to the part of the people. Because as you know, Afghanistan was all one of the most corrupt countries as mm. well in the past 20 years. So that corruption was sort of a reason that the people feel that this government is not representing them, that what they do is not what the people of Afghanistan needed to be done or something. So basically, my um, point is that the demand of Afghan people, what they wanted for their country, how they imagined their country wasn't the... Uh, the defining factor. It was other people making decisions about our future. And the peace deal that the U.S. made with the Taliban was also part of that decision mm. that brought us here today, uh, the situation that we are seeing that all women of Afghanistan are stripped of their rights because of the deal the U.S. and other countries made with the Taliban because it was them saying like, okay, we are very tired of, you know, like this 20 years struggle of like fighting with you. Now just here is a deal. You won't attack us. We won't attack you. And we don't care about the rest of what's going to happen to women of Afghanistan and what's going to happen to the to the population of Afghanistan in, in entirely. So what I see as problem is us not being able to, to put our demand uh, at the center and being able to have the power to push for it and to ask for it and to say that this is what's needed to be done. And now that I'm working at Zan Times, um, most of the time I get these feelings, even as a journalist, then I say, we are doing this as Afghan women journalists, and this is what needs to be done. Mm. This is what we want to do. And we sometimes we, of course, need support. And, you know, the conversation when I get with some of um, the power holders, they say, like, Mm, maybe it's not something we want to do, you mm. know, like supporting you is not because you have a critical voice against us and you're saying, you know, you're not so much promoting our interests. So those are negotiations. I'm just giving you a small pieces of like how, you know, like everything is not so much as we want it to be, but rather those who have effect in true different means that could be one times like money, the politics, the, there's so many levels involved. Um, but what I see right now that women doesn't have any rights to social, political, economic, any rights at all. To and their basic human rights is violated. They cannot go to school. They cannot go to work. And an estimated 20 million women are living in Afghanistan. Mm. And basically today they are, they don't have an, a right to to live as a human because what kind of human are you when you cannot get an education when you cannot go to work and earn your living when you cannot even uh, leave your house without a male chaperone what kind of human are you going to be i 
I won't really say that I, but I use the term is that they deny the humanity of Afghan women, the women of Afghanistan. And, um, and we are seeing little is being done to really reverse this. And my worry is that one part is that this huge violation is happening in Afghanistan. And uh, it's been seen as a problem of Afghanistan. Like, mm. you know, you, you don't really, as you started saying that there's not a lots of news is not on the international um, media talking about this. Mm. So we see that the problem is there, but it's being seen as a problem of Afghanistan and not as a problem of the world. But my concern is that once it started somewhere, it's not going to be contained there. You know, what happened in Afghanistan is not going to stay in Afghanistan. First of all, is the Taliban and extremist groups um, that we know they have a relationship with Al-Qaeda. Just, you know, even though they had this agreement with the U.S. to not have the, any relationship with Al-Qaeda, Al-Qaeda mm. leader was found in Kabul. So how do you trust this, or, uh, this, this group is is something that people of Afghanistan from the very beginning said that the Taliban cannot be trusted. Women of Afghanistan was the loudest saying that they cannot be trusted, that they should not be trusted with the rights of women um, and, and uh, the rights of people in Afghanistan. Mm. But uh, it was the decision of other countries that said we are tired and this is the time to hand over the country back to the Taliban and, 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 and we know what, what happened since then. Based on the Taliban's latest guidance, which advice that women cover their faces in public and despite the heat, that they should be wearing gloves and burqa and the flowing garment that covers the entire head and face. And also within the article, you also mentioned um, such an uh, um, administration called Vice and Virtue, which is notorious for its often violent enforcement for such restrictions. Help us to understand how big is the impact of vice and virtue? And by restricting those rules upon women, what kind of message does the government send to the people, especially women in Afghanistan, Zara? I think let's get back from here that who the Taliban are. Mm. Their most defining feature is oppression of women, mm. is misogyny, and mm. they made it clear even in their first time they ruled Afghanistan. And of course, now that is their distinct feature because we have many, many, you know, extremist groups um, all over the world, but none of them having the defining feature that the Taliban have. And mm. the Taliban's most defining feature is animosity with women, a mm. hatred of women. And the moment they take over the country, they made it clear that that animosity is still defined them. The, that feature is still the huge part that make the Taliban Taliban um, in their second week in power. That was like August 24th um, of 2021. Mm. They disappeared claiming on the 17th of that month, two days after taking over, they said the Taliban spokesman Zabiola Mujahid said that they would respect women's rights, that they would, they would, they would respect freedom of um, media, mm. according, of course, according to Sharia law. But let's like even like this uh, condition of according to Sharia law, we have so many uh, Muslim countries all over the, the world. They are also, you know, like ruling according. Some of them are doing according to Islam, but none of them ask women to cover them, themselves head to toe. None of them order women to stay home and don't get an education, don't go to work. None of them does that. So Taliban are trying to brand themselves as this unique 
pure Islamic country, mm. something like the time of Prophet Muhammad. But it's it's, it's strange point is that they are enjoying the freedom of uh, 21st century life. They are on the internet. They have brand watches. They have like they use uh, military equipment from the U.S. and other countries. Like they enjoy all part of modern life except the part that they don't like for the woman and they want women to you know like to just be totally erased from society mm -hmm. they don't want to see women on the streets they don't want to see women at work so basically they want us they want to build a, the accurate term to define the situation is gender apartheid even mm -hmm. though the legal form or the legal law is not recognized as yet because we only know um the racial apartheid which mm -hmm. was in south africa but we don't really have a concept that apply to gender apartheid. But we, if we just get that, you know, that framework uh, of racial apartheid and just change the racial to with gender, that you will get the gender apartheid because exactly that applies to the situation of Afghanistan and how the Taliban treat women. So they are an extremist group and uh, misogyny and animosity with women is their defining feature. But we are seeing now, like it's close to two years, going to be two years soon um, of the Taliban takeover. And what we are seeing, the constant threat is that they are getting even worse. You know, mm -hmm. the violation they started uh, from the second week, which they ordered women in public sector to stay home. Mm -hmm. And what was their claim? Our soldiers are not ready to respect you. You have to stay home until we get them ready to respect you. Meaning that our soldiers are not familiar is not it's not normal for them to see women on the streets to see women at work so they might beat you they might do something violent so that was their claim that let us train them then you will be able to come back mm. but that was in their second week in power and then in their one month in power they banned school for teenage girls saying that they need um sort of framework that prepare the condition for women to go to school. But that was very strange because uh, schools is already gender segregated in Afghanistan, That's you know, right. like high school. We don't have any school. If they are private, I don't know, but like the, the public schools, I studied on this school. It was all gender segregated. We didn't have any mm. class that male and female studied together in school. So what the Taliban were saying was basically a baseless claim of we're going to create a situation for them to like already they were gender segregated and most of women were teaching them so like there wasn't anything you could really say that is something that the Taliban has to fix it according to mm -hmm. Sharia law because Afghanistan was an Islamic country even before the Taliban take over um, so it was like in their second month, the first months, you know, that they did this on 17th of uh, September. And then after that, they continued to clap down. The next thing that they did is ordering women that they they cannot travel mm. uh, without a apron. It was interesting because they are, in their claim, they say like you have to be 40 if you're traveling more than 45 miles. But what we as a journalist understood and we talked to the people on the ground and other journalists as well, we find out that that restriction that the Taliban announced would be implemented for more than, more than 45 miles of women traveling alone without a male chaperone is actually being implemented even for women who are visiting uh, a clinic, mm. just, you know, right, um, this half an hour walk, because they will be stopped and say, like, where is your mahram? If you don't have a mahram, you should stay at home. Mm. And mahram means... Uh, specifically to say, you know, a blood related uh, mm. family that you cannot marry or your husband, 
your father-in-law again somebody that is close to you so it can be somebody that's like your cousin can be your your mahram mm. and um so they say that they cannot travel or leave their houses in in many provinces they it's like you can't leave your house if you don't have a mahram and then we have this restrictions that women have to cover their faces when they are in public this mm. happened on may and if they don't do it there's going to be a punishment for male family mm. member of that woman that is the woman of their agency of resisting the taliban because the violation if they resist the taliban it would be their male family member who would be subject to punishment mm. and what they would do is basically the taliban with this order the taliban in fact in effect created all male uh, family members of a family and all male in a family to be the taliban agent to uh, to implement what the taliban wants on the on 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 the, their family members so that's how it works and then we have them uh, they didn't open the school they were supposed to school open the school in march but they didn't say like oh there's a negotiation but the claim was still that they will open the school and then they banned the university and then they banned the work work of women with the ngos because the public work was already Uh, closed but mm. now with the ngos they cannot work so we are seeing this every day it's getting worse 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 and venue for women to earn their living to continue to live is shutting down for them mm. and afghanistan is one of the country that has one of the most population of widow women because for the kids of war left when a woman their husbands is dead either fighting or on a explosion or something that we have a lot in Afghanistan mm. so there are so many women in Afghanistan that actually don't have a mahram don't have a close male relative to support them to take them out to the clinic and if they do that man is supposed to go work you know because the mm. woman cannot work you know there is That's so right. many many levels of that of suffering and when we are seeing that 95% of population of Afghanistan are suffering from hunger it's not because they suddenly all you know doesn't have anything to it because this policies that the taliban are implementing making it impossible for them to continue their life so what but what we are seeing is actually it's very strange for me is that we are being um like 40 millions every two weeks or every weeks being shipped by international community of Afghanistan and that's being said that's going to support the humanitarian crisis and then my question is for how long the world can feed first of all there's a lot of doubt where that money that's is going right. because mm. journalists journalists i am a war mm. that most of the money doesn't go to the people who are really at risk mm. and we have done run so many stories in our news outlets and times about how the people who really need this they're going hungry because they don't have access to this to this um, aid but where that money goes is something that we hope to discover through other stories to really give a picture of where that money is going uh, but for now my question would be as long as the taliban in power as long as they're denying the humanity of half of the society banning them from education banning them from earning their living what is the possibility that we overcome this hunger this crisis this humanitarian crisis and move forward because we can't the one that the one that's making it impossible are the taliban and they're in power and this money that to them make their system works because mm. they continue to function um so this is the situation that we are dealing right now and who are suffering is the people of afghanistan and most importantly half of the population of afghanistan which are women Mm. Sarah, you know, it, it, again for me it's quite 
unfathomable to to think about, even to understand that the freedom of receiving education is being taken away by the Taliban. Again, you close down all the schools and you close down all the educational centers. But but Bazera, I can't help asking this question. For the Taliban, do you think they are they are more fearful towards the concept of education or they're more anxious about how education could transform people particularly women in a greater way so in other words how much do you think that they're worried that the the effectiveness of education could actually cause the how can I say the brevity or the inspiration for women to stand up to this uh, um, ruthless behavior or to this inhumane government? You see what I'm saying? So, in other words, wh- why why tackle education? So, in other words, don't you think? I mean, if, I mean, again, this is a silly question. If you are working for the Taliban, don't you think that people ought to be more educated so that they can bring more contribution to the society or even to the country? Why would you ban them from going to the school? Why would you ban women from attending the educational institutions? Is What is the purpose behind it? What is the logistics behind such, even not even a political, but social agenda? What do you think, Zara? First of all, I think again, again going back to who the Taliban are and their most defining feature, um, Taliban promoted and their vision of a pure Islamic country is a country where women doesn't really exist in society. Where mm. they are only confined to their houses. Where only their productivity is to serve the men. So that's what the Taliban first start to imagine with. And then, of course, why they ban education? Because education is where people think, where it makes them. Um, just can you know contradict the Taliban's way of looking at the world and interpreting the world. So the Taliban doesn't want that. It's um, uh, one of um, I think it was one of, in the social media. I, I, I listened to yeah. a Taliban advocate. He was saying that there was a conversation when the Taliban banned the university for women. There was a conversation around that if we ban the education education for women then we don't have any doctor, female doctor mm. to treat, you know, like females. How do we go about resolving that and um, making sure that because they don't like men treat women. So that's something that's according to their way of looking and Sharia is not acceptable for men to treat women, right? So how they should deal with this? Like if we close the universities, but then they were talking, oh, maybe we can open, you know, Especially only school for doctors, you know, mm. like the, the women came and study and just became the doctors. And then there was one um, activist for the Taliban, which I was listening on social media, and he was saying, like, look, if we allow this woman to get an education, to get a doctor, when they go to university, all of them not going to be doctors. They're going to be journalists. They're going to be, you know, scientists. Mm. They're going to be something else which we don't like them to be. So it's not a solution for us to open university for them because they get education. And when they get education, they want to fight back for their rights. They want to resist and they know why it's important and they understand the irrationality. Um, the, I can't even find the accurate word to describe what really the Taliban are doing because it's just unimaginable, like the level mm. of you know foolishness they go to to deny women their rights it's just you know like i have never seen you know and my imagine like 
when when I before the Taliban take over in August, I was thinking that maybe in nineties that was like the the most you know like foolishness that we have in our history, and I was mm. thinking that that was the past. But no, actually, this is happening again, and it even more intensifying, more intensified version of that. And I am reading you now some of the the research, some of the um, reports produced during the nineties, and I compare this with now, and I feel that it's now more pressured women mm. are now more pressured because you know like in the past 20 years there was a possibility of education women are getting education and they were building a life for themselves mm. they have vision of like what they want to do who they want to be and how they want to contribute to their society what we are seeing now is all of them no longer have a hope to mm. for the future like future seems dark because as long as the Taliban is in power, there is no hope for them. Mm. They can't do anything and they cannot be who they wanted to be. And um, and basically no hope. They can only be housewife and be mm. mothers. And that's what the Taliban imagined them to be, you know, just the housewife inside the house, not leaving the house. And of course, that's not what women of Afghanistan want. Right. And, um, and now their demand, what they think, what they want is not being so much seen by the world mm -hmm. because we are seeing a world that is accommodating the Taliban. That's understanding of, oh, you know, they are the Taliban and um, let's think how we can deal with them. Let's give them some in incentive and ask them to change and call on them and say like, oh, let's please change mm -hmm. that this is a violation. But do the Taliban really understand, uh, you know, words perspective? Mm. Of course not. And we have seen it many, many times. And they continue to take pride in what they denied women of Afghanistan. Mm. And that point of taking pride would really show you that they do have no regret. And there will be no change as long as they are in power. Well, Zara, again, it's it is heartbreaking to 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 listen to the description that women today in Afghanistan are expected to be housewives. So in other words, pretty much to sum up is the Taliban took away the identities or took away the opportunities for women to enjoy the freedom. Now, I know you're very busy. Now, I got two more questions before letting you go. I want to talk about the brave women journalist living in Taliban, I mean, living under the ruling of Taliban. I know another article that you described, described the, how the women, uh, uh, or the women journalists, you know, in today's Afghanistan, that they were willing to work for free. It's better than staying at home and grieving. You know, again, these words shocked to my soul. You know, I, it's rather hard to believe. As a journalist myself, I couldn't imagine what does that mean to live, to rather work for free than grieving and staying at home? So, Sarah, help us to understand what kind of inspiration, what kind of reasons for those women, or again, maybe for a work for the Zen time, to continue to be journalists. And again, how dangerous it is today for women in uh, living in Afghanistan to cover news and to report the truth and despite all the hurdles and difficulties. Thank you for that question, Bill. Um, 
one of the reasons that Zantimes exists, it's because of the will of women journalists to continue their work. Mm. And they are really clear that they are standing and they are fighting because that's what needed. And Zan, if I may to say that Zan is the Persian daddy war, that means woman. Mm. And this is our way of saying that we will resist the Taliban, mm. that we will speak our truth. And at this time that the ex we are living, Afghanistan is the most severe women's rights crisis on the planet. Mm. We don't have any place on the world that deny women the right to education and work to the extent the Taliban are doing. Uh, and Zan Times is our initiative to say at the face, at this time, at this crucial time that the Taliban are denying our basic human rights to exist, to live as people, we are there, we tell our story, we fight back. Mm. And we are here to document our own history, to really say at the face of this injustice, how did women of Afghanistan fight? How did they resist? You just can't imagine your life in a situation because always hope that we are always, we, we woke up in the morning with a hope that what I will be doing today, who I will be doing today, mm. and how the work that I do today contribute to the future self of me, what I want to achieve in the future. You know, you always wake up with a hope mm. of doing something, mm. of being something, of contributing to society, to your family, to somebody. And then look at poor Afghan women, when they woke up in the morning, there is nothing for them to look forward to. Mm. There is no hope, no building of future. What they see is all suffering and struggle. And how do they, re how do they really live these days? Is you know that's something that gives us power. And women journalists are at the heart of because they are there and they are reporting the lives of women. How do those women are living there these days? Mm. This is women journalists who are able, who have access to their stories, who can go to them and talk to them and get get a sense of like how do they live. Um, I've been recently fortunate enough to participate in one of the um, online platforms uh, which uh, women of Afghanistan created mm. within themselves. A group of university students, teachers, they all came together and said, like, it's so much hopelessness. We, we can't bear it alone. So let's come together. They have a book club. They read books and they really sort of... Uh, keep each other motivated and uh, I was uh, listening to them and they were reading poetry that is about resistance that is about fighting back that's not giving you know giving up for what you're fighting and then when one of them were reading and then the other would come up and you know like such emotional you know giving mm. us emotional support that oh like was such a beautiful poem i can feel you you know like we are going to do we are all going through the same thing but you know what this day is gonna pass and like you don't know how much powerful those messages are because especially as i explained that how the situation they're living in and the hope that they are trying to keep up and uh, i see women journalists as a part of that and my own colleagues my own colleagues uh, sometimes when I talk to them, my most fear is about security because I know now being a journalist is being criminal in Afghanistan. Mm. Even criminal. The Taliban opened the door of prison when they took over. They mm. let the, all the prisoners, the killers, um, the abuser of women's rights, anyone who were there, the Taliban let them walk free. Mm. But journalists, we, are, we have so many journalists right now in Taliban prisons. Mm. And we have so many journalists who can't work because of this fear, because of the situation, the censorship the Taliban created. So now the journalists, 
is being criminal by default. If you're a journalist, you're criminal. Mm. And uh, if you are continuing your work, of course, you're taking risk mm. and bringing any story from Afghanistan is at the cost of a journalist's lives. So if the Taliban cut them, definitely they would be tortured. Mm. They would be beaten. Mm. And uh, God knows what else was going to happen to them. But right. their life is at risk. But they are bringing this story at the cost of their own lives. And when I talk to them, I ask them about security and how we can, what we can do to protect them. And that I'm worried. Of, like This is like everything is getting worse. And they give me hope. They say, hey, the risk is there. We are aware of the risk. Mm. We know the risks. But what if we, we stop? Mm. Stop. We lose hope for ourselves and for the women who we are trying to help to 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 bring their story their stories to, to a wider audience at least know what's happening to them right now mm. this telling of our story is not just just doing journalism or just saying oh this happened first of all this is covering our own losses because we are also living in this country mm. that denies our right to exist as human we are resisting that at the first and then we have a hope every morning that when we woke up, we know that we are contributing to something greater than ourselves, that we are helping to keep the world informed of what is happening in Afghanistan. Mm. And that's a valuable contribution that we will take pride in, that we'll say no matter what's happening, no matter how much I'm being oppressed, no matter if I'm not being able to leave my house, I'm able to continue my work. And that's valuable. And I really, really admire their courage because it's hard to produce journalism at the cost of your own lives. And my colleagues and other journalists who are working in Afghanistan, they are doing that. And these brave women journalists that we write about them, they are working for free mm. because they also try to keep the world informed and keep trying to claim to their professional identities who is now denied. So they are doing it at free. They are not getting anything. They are using their own, you know, they're paying mm. for their own car fare or whatever they're using just to be journalists, mm. just to claim to that professional identity that is lost under the Taliban. And you can see that the level of abuse that they are going through, you know, from sexual harassment from the Taliban, first of all, from denying their rights to continue their work as professional journalists, and then the sexual exploitation um, and from the Taliban, from the environment, and also from the newsroom itself. They are working for a newsroom who is not willing to pay them. The same newsroom who used to pay them before the Taliban take over. And now they see the situation. They also can take use of it. Like if you want to work for free, you can work. If not, and they knew, they know that those women are committed to their task. Mm. They want to continue and they want to be journalists. So they use and exploit the situation. And that's very, very heartbroken for me to be to see at this situation that we really need support, that we really need to empower women journalists to continue their work. We have newsrooms in Afghanistan who refuse to pay them and say, mm. like, if you're a man, I'm going to pay you. If you're a woman, no, you have to work for free. So that is heartbroken, but I admire their courage and I really hope the world to see their courage for what it is and to support them and to be their voice and to amplify the voice of this brave and courageous women journalists who continue their work. And they can definitely read some of their work. We have a group of women journalists in Afghanistan working with other Zantines and I'm so proud of them. And I really, really look forward to the day I can name them mm. with their real name, to introduce to the world who they are what they have done 
to keep the board informed uh, since the Taliban took over. That's right, Zara. Again, you sort of um, already answered my um, ending question, but again, um, it is. I, of course, you know, as a journalist myself, I truly, again, I said it before and many times, admire the brevity of those women journalists and really feel inspired and motivated, continue not just to travel under the limitations, but to report the truth and the whole truth, nothing but the truth regarding this social and political hurdles happening today in the country of Afghanistan. So again, Zara, uh, um, Zara I really admire the, the work that you do um, at the Zen Times and with your colleagues. And, and I hope and I pray that one day we're able to name and knowledge and honor those women journalists. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's my great honor to speak to Zara Nader. Again, Zara, it's Afghan-Canadian journalist and editor-in-chief of Zen Times, a media that covers human rights rights violation in Afghanistan with a focus on women, the LGBTQI community, and environmental issues. Zara, thank you so much for taking your time to be on the show, and we hope and I pray not only for you, but also for your colleagues who are safe and sound as they continue uh, uh, their work and also their journeys in Afghanistan. Please keep us posted, and you're always welcome to come on the show to share anything related to Afghanistan and also your amazing news stories from Zen Times. So again, thank you so much for doing this.